Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 72 of the PDH Pod, the one and only Magic the Gathering podcast dedicated to the total exploration of the Pauper Commander format. I am your host, Brad Drac V, and let's see what my uh, co-hosts from the East Coast are up to. Actually, one from the East Coast, one not so much East Coast. Uh, First up, Dave the Alcadron Vader. How's your week? Uh, Honestly, awful. Mm -hmm. Always honestly. I'm sorry it was awful. Yeah, uh, my... My best friend for 15 years has been the 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 goofiest, stupidest cat, and uh, we lost him on Monday morning. Uh, it was kind of abrupt. We were not prepared for this, and uh, it's been kind of a shit week. Sure. Yeah, that is not not a good way to start the week for sure. No, it's bedtime. So, uh, yeah. How's I, I hope that your week has been better. Uh, yeah, it was not that bad. I am sorry to hear that you lost your pal. Thank you. You never uh, never expect something like that. No. Especially well, with a lot of animals, because they don't let you know it's coming sometimes. Like, it just... We you lost, know what I mean? Like, we lost his sister last summer, and she... Mm-hmm. Like, that yep. one was very telegraphed, because, like, she, she had a lot of really, like, really bad medical problems that, that mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the month leading up to it, and then... You know, we we ended up finally we we brought in a, uh, a basically a hospice vet to, to do a house call, and she showed up. And sure. She was like, "This cat is in a lot of really bad distress, and like I I recommend you know seeking a humane measure yeah. as soon as possible." So like we we had lots of time to sort of prepare for that. Like the the this one Ashes, like we we named the cat Ashes, um, mm-hmm. which is dark comedy happening now because being cremated, <laughs> um, right? He he had a lot of really minor health problems. Like he had a drool face and sort of a constant runny nose from this like chronic upper respiratory condition that just mm-hmm. uh, you know he had had for ten years and like we we, right. we treat the symptoms, but I, I think it's I think it's feline leukemia, so it just never goes away. You just sort of treat the symptoms and try to make them comfortable. But yep, like there was yep, yep. there was nothing going on that suggests that he was you know at the end of his life. We we honestly expected to get another few years out with him at least and mm-hmm. uh yeah it was just very very abrupt very unfortunate we were all we're all grieving yeah yeah so uh yeah <laughs> sorry to start this one out on a bummer <laughs> i definitely gave brad zero warning that this was coming zero warning 90 uh, minute pre-show and zero warning yeah no i am sorry to hear that the good news is we had a 90-minute pre-show because uh, we have a guest with us we who do. is uh, nice segue. so easy to talk to. It's just effortless. He talks and you talk and like the ideas just flow and like on, straight up, honestly, is one of my favorite people to talk to in the world. Uh, yeah. in- introduce our guest, Brad. I will. Well, uh, you may have already guessed by now but next up is not our resident pdh phd liam but instead the man that puts the plosive p into professional pdh player derek welcome back to the show how are things uh i'm fine uh i i I will say uh (laughs) dave bearing the lead on the sad news a little bit Uh, the 90 minutes that we just spent talking about (laughs) uh you know (laughs) magic cards um i will say 
I, I don't know. If, I mean, I, I'm sure I mentioned it kind of sparingly, but um, in for my day job, I, I've you know, been working in like the veterinary emergency veterinary industry for the last you know half a decade or so, and in, in pet care for uh-huh. you know, over a decade. And I, I I know very uniquely how difficult the loss of a pet is. So I, I wish you guys the best in, in navigating your grief. Yeah. You know, I, I know it's a lot. So I just want to make you. sure that I extend my deepest condolences to you and yours uh, for that. I I appreciate that. Yeah, it's my pleasure. But now that's a hey, well, that's out of the way. Um, hey, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. I'm happy to be back uh, to talk talk about magic with you guys. Um, and you know, make you forget all about how much you miss Liam. <laughs> right. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Who? That's what you're here for. Yeah. Who? <laughs> Liam? What? Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, welcome back. Uh, we got a couple main Thank topics you. this week, actually. But before we get to those, let's do some housekeeping as usual. If you like the show and you like what we're doing here, consider supporting us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash the PDH pod. By being a patron, you get access to the pre-show, which uh, this week was not quite as grim as the introduction to the actual episode, but it was still a good time. About 90 minutes of just casual conversation, magic conversation, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, you get early access to the episode before it goes live, usually the night before. And then finally, you get access to the PDH Pod Discord server where you can chat with the crew. Derek's on there all the time. You get help with your decks, talk about spoilers, and everything else is kind of good and fun that's going around, as they say. As a quick caveat yeah. to interrupt your, your bookkeeping mm-hmm. on the topic of Discord. I am on the Discord. I hate interacting on the Discord. <laughs> yes, that is true. That is true. To temper your expectations. If you <laughs> ping me, if you ping me, it will be. I will respond to you. Okay? <laughs> but otherwise, I will not talk to you. I will lurk and I'll read everything that you write, but I will not say a thing. Yep. Okay? I just want to make that clear. Yep. Set expectations. There it is. Perfect. Continue. All right. Uh, lastly, I guess, check out our YouTube and Twitch channels. We are the PDH Pod on both of those platforms as well. And then the latter is where I stream Spell Table, every, uh, Spell Table PDH every Saturday evening uh, around 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. So check those out. Uh, I might have lied just a little bit earlier when I said Liam wasn't here, but he was so devoted to the This Week in Magic portion of the show that he was kind enough to give us some news. So uh, take it away, Liam. Guys, guys, the TARDIS doors, they just shut with me inside. I'm stuck inside. We're going out into the time vortex. I'm not entirely sure what to do. I'm hoping this transmission gets to you. Uh, this transmission, it just contains This Week in Magic, and hopefully this time next week, I will have just landed, and it'll be good to go. All right? So, without further ado, This Week in Magic. The Lost Caverns of Ixalan spoilers concluded uh, recently. We have most of the main set, and we have the commando deck lists. We're still waiting on the common drop, but there's more on Ixalan next week. The Lost Caverns of Ixalan collector boosters, they will not be at your LGS during pre-release. They are experiencing a delay. I think I just saw them go past the window in the time vortex, so that's probably the problem. All right, But we will get them to your LGS eventually. And finally, those new secret layers that we talked about last week, more information is still to be announced. Hopefully there will be more on that next time I see you. And that wraps up this transmission. Hopefully I can get this problem figured out, and I will be able to rejoin you all next week. Cheers. Have a good one. Well, thank you for that, Liam. Maybe if you're listening to the show, you can you can hear that. So 
Uh, right on. Well, like I mentioned earlier, we do have a couple different main topics this week. The first one we're going to start off, we wanted to have sort of like a roundtable discussion, not only about the newly announced MTG Marvel crossover, but the entire universes beyond as a concept. Uh, we're going to try to explore a little bit of the positive, a little bit of the negative aspects of what these sets have sort of already done to the game and the uh, our relationship, the player-based relationship to the game, and sort of kind of what we see as the future of these sets and of the game as a whole with them um, involved. So are we embracing all of them, or do they need to get off our lawn? What do you think, Derek? Do you want to start us off? Um, I don't think they need to get off of our lawn. Okay. Uh, first of all, um, I, uh, I'm... Yeah, I think these things are fine. I, I like these products quite a bit, actually. Like there are, like I said, there are some negatives to them, mm-hmm. but I think largely, like it's really cool to have. Uh, let, let, let me put it this way: when I was a kid, it, a, a big Magic fan, when I was in high school, middle school, whatever, mm-hmm. I would I would open my latest issue of Inquest magazine. Oh yes, okay, yes, yes, yes. And then every once in a while, there would be these little things you, in the back where they'd Inquest have kid? like not a duelist kid, uh, both, both. Uh, but Inquest did this particular thing, okay, which okay. um. Carry on. It kind of remind, gets me into Universe of Beyond. Uh, they had like, I remember very clearly, they, there were two that I remember. One was for Planet of the Apes and one was for Lord of the Rings. And they had like uh, magic cards that they designed, like just in the magazine. Mm-hmm. You know, there was like a Balrog card, a Baradur card, a tree, fe- a tree Beard card, um, a Palantir card, um, and then some uh, Planet of the Apes stuff in another issue. Um, I don't remember those as much. But I remember just thinking like, man, this is so cool that like, it's a thing, but it's also magic. It's like, and who among us, when they're ten years old, is isn't like, oh man, I can't, I can't even begin to understand. Like, what, what would a Luke Skywalker magic card? Look? Right, That's I, what I, I've ever heard of him. Yeah, I absolutely drew um, Darth Vader cards in my notebook. Yeah. Oh, in sure. High yeah, 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 yeah. And and these and these Lord of the Rings cards that the Inquest staff designed or whatever. Like, I cut them out and like put them in front of basic lands and like thought they were the sweetest thing <laughs> in the world. Like, so these University Beyond products just like. It's that to me. Like it really, it really scratches that itch. Mm-hmm. It just brings me back in a really nostalgic kind of way. And plus, like the mechanics that they're able to use for these things, because they're not standard legal sets. You know, they, you can say what you want about like the Lord of the Rings stuff going into modern, but like there's a lot of room to develop really interesting, flavorful cards for things that you know we all kind of enjoy. I like the Doctor Who stuff's a great example of this. Um, the Lord of the Rings stuff was awesome. The 40k stuff is awesome. You know, these are all really impeccably designed products, and I think that's really to the benefit of the whole, rather than just like you know, a cat quote unquote cash grab. I don't think this is that at all. Um, I don't think a cash grab is something that is such a labor of love, uh, so to speak. Yeah, you can tell that if it was like cheap and like shoved out the door to like just make as much money as possible, then then yes. But I, I don't think that's what the people designing these products are trying to do. Yeah, you can tell they're very well designed, like. Because you can obviously see that they are concerned about not only the magic fan base, but the fan base of the IP itself, what, mm-hmm. and making that company. Yeah, it's happy. very careful. Mm-hmm. One of, one of the things that really opened my eyes about UB was actually on the show when we were doing the thing where you know for Doctor Who, like Brad, you and I would like review a card mechanically and and how, what it was going to bring to the format, and then mm-hmm. Liam would talk about how those mechanics fit the flavor of what this thing did in its own universe. Right. And that that was really eye-opening because, like, I I have this, like, very weird relationship with the Universes Beyond where, like, when I see a Universes Beyond for uh, an IP that I'm really into, I get really enthusiastic. 
And when I see a Universes yeah. Beyond card for like The Walking Dead, and I just don't know what's going on, like my my immediate <laughs> gut reaction is like, what what fresh hell is this? Why are you inflicting this on my game of Magic that I shouldn't have to deal with this weird nonsense that you're putting in here? Like I get weird, I get weirdly defensive about it when it's not something I recognize. But like when it is something I recognize, I get really excited, which I recognize right. very hypocritical of me. But like yeah, when when I know what the card is referencing in that universe and I know like why it has that mechanic that it has, like that feels really good. And then I, oh, yeah, see, for sure. you know, like Pinkie Pie and I'm like, wh- wh- what, what happened here? Like, uh-huh. Yeah. Why? Same here. Like, you know, when we were going through the Lord of the Rings cards, you know, and I'm one of those, I, I'm in the Lord of the Ring family fan base, fandom i'm sure there's a name for people like me but as we were as we were doing our lord of the Rings set review and we come across a card it would just be like that wasn't in the movie i don't know who that is get that out of my face but like the rest of the cards that i recognize i absolutely loved so pretty sure the word what you were is talking filthy about muggle there we go what, right <laughs> whatever that means that's probably what i am so <laughs> i i totally get that feeling uh, because i do that quite a bit you know and a lot of these like like you said with the Pinkie pie i'm like what's going on here like what have we become as a society? And then they drop like Evil Dead Secret Lair, and I'm like, okay, I need fifty. Like, I need all those right now. Like, please deliver them to my yeah. house. So, you know, I think it's you know one of the things that kind of people gripe about this stuff for is it kind of breaks the immersion of Magic the Gathering by introducing those IPs. Yes. Um, yep. Which you know, on the one hand, I get. On the other hand, I think that if these IPs weren't at, weren't so established and you just kind of like took them at face value, right? Like Doctor Who being like, oh, there's time travel science fiction plane or you know like that kind of stuff mm-hmm. to like like you know just remove the context and the history surrounding it and just like look at the cards for what they are like that could be a magic the gathering set i mean we did yeah. neon dynasty you know we we've diverged so far from just like the alpha beta like dominaria like herloon minotaur attacks bird of paradise <laughs> that kind of stuff um right that you know conceivably like it's not too far-fetched to think of those sorts of things existing in a normal magic the gathering set like Warhammer 40k or Lord of, I mean Lord of the Rings is like the closest you know analog there um but like I don't think it's a huge departure there's always that joke that people like to do you know I my, I equip my SpongeBob with a battle <laughs> rifle and right right you know right. blah 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 and it's just like sure you can like kind of make it cartoonish that way or you could just understand that like it doesn't really matter right magic is a is a game engine and a rule set right yeah yeah they can put whatever crazy skins they want to on it what are we gonna say Dave yeah, and yeah, go ahead, Dave. Is there a SpongeBob card? Did I miss that one? Not no. yet. Oh, there I, may be. I am on, eventually, I am on the lookout, but there's not yet. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those uh, weird kind of jokes that people used to kind of um, yeah. sensationalize the whole thing. But you know, at the end of the day, these are products that do bring in a lot of new players. Um, yeah, yeah, people that are interested, that are interested in the IPs. You know, whether those are people that are going to stick around and be repeat customers, who really cares? They're getting a cool product and something that they enjoy. Um, and I think that's a good thing. I don't think there's any harm in that. You know, and, and um, too, and like I think about it a lot in regards to the PDH format. Like, sure, you know, when the Marvel products come out, there's going to be pre-cons. There's going to be dedicated, you know, Marvel pre-cons where every card is thematic in, you know, comic book style or what have you, whatever uh, direction they decide to go. But like in PDH, it's not as much of a thing. Like if I play my, my uh, goofy looking robot snuff out, from Doctor Who, <laughs> people aren't walking away from the table. They're just like, oh, you killed my creature. Right. Great, thanks. You know? 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think there's as much um, immersion, if you will, in a format like Popper Commander where we literally can't have a hundred cards that are Walking Dead or Transformers or, even or like, you know, normal Commander. Like you're still like even a normal Commander deck, completely barring Universe of Beyond. Like you're still building a deck or playing with cards that presumably combine characters from ten or twelve different unique settings, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's all technically part of the Magic IP, right. but they're distinct settings with distinct feels. Um, and I don't really know, I guess, what what immersion means to a lot of players. Like, I, I, yeah, I guess I, I don't have Especially immersion. Magic. Like, when I cast my, I don't know, my first card that comes to mind is just a Jace. When I think of Jace, I don't, like, picture, like, Jace coming to battle for me, like, on this destroyed world where, like, we're fighting to the death. I'm just like, there's right. a Planeswalker. Like, that's my card. <laughs> that's what I'm doing. Like, it's not like this yeah. whole, like, cinematic IMAX thing going on in my head. Like, I don't right. know what they mean by immersion. When I was explaining, my, my partner asked what, what tonight's episode was about before I started recording. When I was explaining it to her, I said, uh, I know that a lot of people sort of dislike this because it breaks the, instead of using the word immersion, I, I used the word purity, and I did really heavy sure. finger quotes in the air when I said it. And she was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> so, like... <laughs> Okay. I think in that, this context, that's what I think the word immersion means. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's probably correct. I mean, yeah, I, I feel comfortable with that. Yeah. yeah. And also, I I don't want to put anyone on blast, but I hope that the the derision was palpable in in my use of. <laughs> oh yes. Because because yes. like I I I'm sort of with Derek on this one. Like I I don't think there's anything wrong with me using my unicorn to kill your space marine. I think that that's awesome. Sure. And like I, yeah, it's pretty dope, and that's an right? immersion I'd like to get into. Like that's yeah. hilarious. Like <laughs> I, it, I, I think that there are so many different settings. Like we, we already have like the pirates versus dinosaurs on the same plane, and you can take those pirates versus dinosaurs and make them fight ninjas in robots. Like that's yep. that's part of Magic's IP. Like why, if if we if we swap the robots for space marines, like has that changed much? Like. I'm- Pretty soon, the Magic IP will be in space. Like we have a space yeah. set coming, so yeah, a, a real one, you not know, just like the circus. Yeah, I think a lot of the baggage just comes from the like the context, like the cultural context surrounding these properties. Like, um, I think that's kind of the biggest, the biggest thing that people take umbrage with. Sure, um, and it definitely taints the conversation. I think or taints the discourse. Yeah, yeah, I could definitely. But I mean, it's not like I don't see their point of view. I just don't. Yeah. I don't necessarily fall in line with it. It's not like I don't find it like compelling enough to like get negative about, you know. Yeah, it's not like it, you know, if you beat me with your uh, Doodle Bob deck, it doesn't affect the cards I'm playing. I still go home with my, you know, whatever third edition lands and my Return to Ravnica <laughs> spell. It's like it doesn't sure. affect what I'm playing. It just affects sort of like what I'm seeing across the table, and that doesn't really bother me. Yeah, and there there are some like, you know, arguments people have that makes some sense to me. I, I, they make sense. I just find them compelling, right? Like, right. Um, one of them. Um, oh shoot! I, I just lost my train of thought. One of that. I it, okay. I'll come back to the one that I was thinking about. But another one is um, it's difficult to reprint some of these in-universe cards uh, mm-hmm. because yep, they may reference specific um, uh, things, spe- you know, that are unique to that IP. You know, so it'll have to be something where they come up with like you know mechanically identical cards that are in universe and different and like standard legal sets or whatever. Like the the reprinting of those cards becomes kind of tricky sometimes, and I can see that. Like it's going to be tough to reprint the One Ring, for example, sure. a card that has like broken the modern format wide open. Yep. Um, <laughs> like <laughs> you can't really fit that in like you know Lost Caverns of Ixalan. There's you know what are you going to do? 
Orcish Bowmasters, you know, luckily is a little more generic, but uh, like the one ring is like, what do you do with that? It's just like an insanely powerful card that's very in demand that it's very tricky to find a place to reprint. So it's, there's going to be like some scarcity surrounding that. And I, I, I get that. That makes sense to me. And I agree with that, that that's an issue. But, you know, I, I think it's largely to the benefit of the game that these products exist. I, you know, product fatigue is something that I know a lot of people feel very strongly about. Um, and the, this sort of thing contributes a lot to that because it runs parallel to like other product releases. Mm-hmm. Um, like they're still doing the full slate of standard of like tentpole products for standard. They're still doing the full slate of like masters reprint sets or whatever. Like this just in addition to everything. Like I get that. I, I, I guess my perspective on this sort of thing has changed in recent years. Um, I think wizards has been very transparent about making it clear that like they're designing more products for a more diverse audience you know, there are different audiences of people that want different things and they're trying to design different products to hit all of those different demographics. Um, rather than just like one thing that hits everybody, they're doing things that are tailored specifically to different groups, which is, I think, good. I just think that a lot of older Magic players, you know, the Magic boomers like like the three of us, <laughs> it's very easy to feel, to like still fall in that mindset that like everything is something that I should be purchasing because up until, you know, seven, eight years ago, all, like magic was just like everything that was released was for you. Yes. Right. Yep. Like as the magic 100%. Player. Um, those are products for, for like one single audience of, of magic players. It was all for us. Yep. And now it's not regardless of what um, format you played. The magic product right. on the shelf was for everybody. Yeah. Because it's just a universal thing. There are magic players and magic players buy magic product. Right. That's what you do. But they've since segmented that group of magic players into a bunch of other groups with different goals, and they're designing unique products for all of them, which is fine, again. Um, yep. But I think it, it, it requires people to kind of look inward and understand that, like, just because the Doctor Who product comes out, you don't need to buy it. I bought one single from it for to build, like, a, a commander deck around mm-hmm. because I thought the card was really, really cool. Um, I know nothing about what it is in the Doctor Who <laughs> world. I don't know any of the lore. It just has a really cool mechanical you know, identity that I, I really want to build a, a commander deck around. Yep. So I, I bought one single and that's it. I don't feel the need to buy all of the other, like, oh, this card's an instant commander staple. Everyone has to buy this card. I don't care. Like, you know, it's not. Right, right. I just don't need to. Um, and I feel like a lot of people still have problems with that. The idea, like, this product isn't for you. People get offended by that, I think, a lot of the they time. They certainly when, do, yeah. When they really shouldn't, because not every pro- It's true. I'll say this definitively, not... You, I'm pointing at you, listener. Not every magic product is for you. Right. You, you, you can make them all for you if you want to buy all of them, but you do not need to. Right. Um, That's something and, that I struggle with sometimes because, like, th- yeah. there, there's a lot of there's a lot of universes beyond that are for me, like Lord of the Rings and yeah. you know Warhammer. Like these are things that when when they get announced, I get really excited about them. Right. I was pretty stoked uh, for the Transformers. Yep. Yeah, yeah, Transformers was really dope. I I enjoyed a lot of those things. But then there's some that like when the when the thing happens that isn't for me, like that's when I that's when I get like really weirdly judgmental about it. Like who even likes The mm-hmm. Walking Dead? Like what is that? <laughs> why is why is why are you shoving this in my throat, yeah. wizards? Like yeah. stop. Like recognizing that it's not for me, but it is for someone else is has been a big part yeah. of my like journey to become the, fine with this. And that secret lair sold tremendously well. Sure. Very the Walking popular. Dead. Yeah. 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 Very. That, I think it's I, probably that, still one of their best selling. That that became like a big part of my like sort of 
internal narrative about it is like when when i would see people yeah. like being very dismissive about the entire walking dead thing i'd be like okay well like let's look at let's look at the numbers like it sold better than every, any other secret layer before it by an enormous margin and a lot of those people weren't magic players but maybe some of them right. became yeah, magic yeah. players because of this product and like mm -hmm. whether or not you like the cards like you have to respect that it's a business and like they're going to make decisions that are good for business and that was a decision that was really good for business yeah. like if those cards and if i may say like the, the walking dead cards the in-universe versions that they did recently in the woe collector boosters or set booster whatever really really cool by the way the in-universe versions of all those cards are awesome yes i haven't yeah, seen yeah, them yeah. they're all innistrad flavored like the other ones um they're really really slick i did recently i ended up getting like a set boosters prize for something and mm -hmm. i I accidentally opened a an in-universe version of Eleven from Stranger Things, mm -hmm. and I was yeah. reading the card. I was reading the card, and I was like, "What? What the fresh hell is this? Like, maximum <laughs> hand size is Eleven? Why is that? Oh, okay, no, I get yeah. it. I yeah. get it. But like for for a minute, I was very confused, and then I and then it clicked, and I was like, "Oh, that's actually kind of cool." I'm... Yeah, that's something that's been really cool is like the the universe beyond secret layer stuff, the mechanically unique secret layers that they've done, like the ones for Stranger Things and The Walking Dead, where they've done the in and I guess they've done the in universe um, cards for the Street, Street Fighter, Fighter cards yeah, yeah. too. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I like that. One all those well. cards are so cool. Yes, yeah. like Stranger the, Things, Street Fighter. The, I've already forgot that those yeah. secret layers existed. Holy cow, and, there's been a lot. And most of them are are like it from Innistrad, which is like a really cool thing mm -hmm. to be doing too. Yeah, for sure. Like. Um, the in-universe version of like the Glenn card from the Walking Dead Secret Lair is just like this corrupt magistrate that it's just like the art is awesome, the mechanics are awesome. It's a white blue creature with skulk. It's just really really cool. So we got those out of this whole thing, which I think is great. But you know, like you said, like the Walking Dead cards are for a group of people that absolutely f loves those cards. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, and if if I could borrow Dave's uh, finger quotes from earlier. You know, I hate to be that guy, finger quotes, but, like, I think a lot of the universes beyond negativity comes from the echo chamber of social media. Like, when I'm at, too, when I'm at the LGS, and not all of it, but, but a decent portion of it, like, when I'm at the LGS going through the bulk boxes, I don't hear anybody complain about Secret Lair or Marvel or Transformers or, or Walking Dead or what have you, and it's almost the opposite, like... A, people that are looking through the actual like glass cabinets looking shopping for filthy rares like they talk about excitedly like oh did you hear what they announced next year they're doing this next year they're doing that and then they're doing marvel and i hear people at the counter like asking for sealed product that the shop doesn't carry like they're looking for extra sealed product that they can't just get anywhere else like people are genuinely yeah. genuinely excited for new product new skins if you will uh, new mechanics new worlds new planes new ips all that kind of stuff so i know uh, when I kind of like with Dave, I bought one of the first secret layers that came out. It was the lightning bolt. I think it was like the second one they ever made because mm -hmm. it's lightning bolt, right? I need four of them or, you know, I need a set of it. Right. But then like my first real social exposure to secret layer was the walking dead. And all I heard was how they're mechanically, mechanically unique and they're going to ruin legacy and they're going to be a million dollars and no one's going to buy them and everybody hates them, but they're still going to be a million dollars somehow, even if everybody hates them. And it didn't make a lot of sense to me. And that negativity sort of yeah. steamrolled like in my head. And it took me a long time to get to the fact or get to the point where I could say, 
you know, like David just mentioned, if you love it, buy it, play it. I don't care. I just don't like it, so I'm not going to buy it. It's not for me. And yep. that was actually a surprisingly hard journey, like <laughs> a surprisingly hard destination to get to. Yeah. But uh, I finally got there, and I'm totally happy with it. Yeah, like it's it's tough. I mean, I've spent so much time playing Magic and thinking about Magic and like exploring my relationship with the game. Yes. That like it's hard to. I mean, I have to center myself sometimes and understand that, like not everybody puts that same amount of effort into this that I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, the, the reason why like I have the luxury of being so measured about all this stuff is because I've put the time and work into developing that relationship that I have with Magic. Yeah. And, and a lot of people don't have that. Don't have the time to do that. They aren't as invested as I am to want to do that even. And they're just kind of like playing magic just for fun as something, mm-hmm. you know, as a hobby that they more casually than I do. And that's awesome. Like, yeah, more power to you. Awesome. So I don't, I don't begrudge people that get upset about these things. I just want to be able to like, you know, sit down and say like, are you sure that this is something that is worth devoting this much negative energy? Towards? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Cause I mean, this will be Marvel, you know, versus magic or whatever is, is not going to be the death of magic as Mm-mm. nothing. I mean, magic has, you know, been quote unquote dying for for decades now, but you know, the player base always seems to be growing. More people are always coming to the game. The it's getting more and more, I think, special as people who truly love the game and the properties that it engages with are developing the cards. You know, and right. you see that care yep. and that passion come through in the way that they built worlds now, the way that they design mechanics and cards. Uh, the way they design pre-constructed decks for Commander, like all of these things. Um, it's all coming through in a much more uh, visible way. And it's a really, really great time to play Magic. And honestly, like one of my, one of the final things I'll say on it before we move on to the second main topic here, and I'll give you guys a chance to talk too, but like yeah. if they had never, if the design team or Hasbro or Watsi or whoever is in charge of the universes beyond at the beginning, like if they had never taken this step, this exploration, I don't know how much longer the game could have lasted. You know, they would have had to exhaust their ideas eventually, or even in the magic universe came up with stuff that the fans supposedly quote unquote, you know, hate with a passion like universes beyond. Like, I feel like almost like what you said, Derek, the universes beyond sort of add a layer to the game. Not that like breathes new life into it. Cause magic wasn't dying, but it adds in an extra, um, I, I don't know the word for it, but like just an extra layer to the game where people can play, they can enjoy it's more it. more texture. Yeah, it's more texture. And it, in a certain way, you know, these Marvel cards are going to make all the previous actual Magic cards more precious, more attractive, more uh, fun to play with and be with in your own, you know, sort of way, I guess. Yeah, if you want, yeah, for those people that pick up those products and want to dive into Magic on a grander scale, absolutely. Yeah. Or if Marvel fans just want to buy Marvel precons and just have them on the wall with their comic books, that's great too. Do you it. know, whatever. Yep. That's awesome. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that it's 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 really good to let people engage in the with, with the game in, in more and more ways that you know they identify with as all. Well. Yeah, exactly. You got anything you want to wrap it up with, Dave? <laughs> I don't think there's anything that I want to add. I think that I uh, I, I range from enthusiastically positive to like hesitantly neutral about every mm-hmm. new universes beyond that gets announced or, or delivered. And I mm-hmm. think that I'm, I've made my peace with the ones that aren't for me. My you yep. know, two, two yep. years ago, my reaction towards those things was very negative. And now I, I am comparing that to, you know, 
my reaction to 40k or Lord of the Rings or Transformers, which has been extremely positive, and the way that I see those cards and get excited about them, and the way that I see that the the designers are like being mechanically uh, faithful to the source material. Like I just I I'm so enthusiastic about those that now when I see when I see the stuff that is not for me. I, I, you know, I have this little like impulsive flash of irritation, and then I take a breath and I walk away from it, and it's, <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, yeah. I guess um, what I'll, yeah. I'll what I'll close with is just like just to urge folks when the when we see more University of Beyond products inevitably come out, like look for the reasons why it'll be positive to the game as a whole. Um, don't look to be critic. Don't don't look to take a critical perspective on it. Because if you want to be critical about something, you're 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 going to naturally try and find positives and negatives, and then you're seeking out negatives, and 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 not all those negatives are going to be worth being negative about. Um, right. Engage with these products purely on the axes of how they excite you. If there yes. if there's a huge problem with them, if they're going to kill magic, that's going to become evident. It's going to pierce through that that enjoyment and excitement very naturally. You don't need to go finding those things. They'll come to you. <laughs> right. If they that's exist. a good way to put it. Um. Just focus on the ways that they excite you and enrich your magic experience. And if they don't, then just don't worry about it. It's not a huge deal. Yeah, I don't see any world where the headline says, oh, you know, Magic the Gathering released their Marvel crossover and went bankrupt. <laughs> They're out of the business. Like, it's sure. just not It's not going to happen. Yeah. So, full disclosure, I am, I am a little hesitant about the Marvel one just because, like, <laughs> there's so much Marvel... Like I, when I when I'm thinking about the Marvel crossover, I'm thinking about this like catastrophically large set that just well, it's like, gonna be I, multiple sets, right? Like that seems yeah. like so, like that's a lot. That is I, a lot. <laughs> I used I used to work in a comic book store, and like it's so overwhelming the way that like the comic book industry, you know, in the late 2000s did this, you know, like here's episode 420 of the X Men. <laughs> And it's full right. of references to, like, you know, someone will say something and there'll be a little asterisk in their speech bubble that says, like, see episode 84 of completely <laughs> separate comic series to understand what he's referencing. And I'm just like, no, 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 I no. won't do that. And like, I will not do that. And that's just one of the six different X-Men books that are all, like, in different continuities that, that they reboot. Yeah. Like, there's so much Marvel everywhere that I'm tired thinking about it. And imagine yeah, a magic a set that has like that much like interconnected. Compl- like, how many Captain America cards are th- are they gonna have? And like, why? <laughs> I already know it's gonna be too many. Like, we have too many Gandalf cards. <laughs> and like, there's only one of him. Right. Yeah, we'll yeah. see. It like, depends on how they kind of center the the overarching narrative of the set. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I I'm I I'll say that I'm I'm not enthusiastic about it, but. Again, like I have these, I have these little brief moments of irritation with the idea of the thing, and then I mm-hmm. set them aside and I, I take a couple deep breaths and I go, the, the designers have done a great job with everything so far. Like yeah, all yeah. the all the other all the other universes beyond that I didn't care for have been actually like between neutral and awesome. Like I I gotta trust them to do a good job with Marvel. And we'll see what it looks like when it gets here. And I'm not gonna, yep. uh, I'm not gonna be mad about it before then. We'll yeah, we'll we got PDH to play. 
Exactly. PDH to play. Uh, we got decks to talk about. I actually missed this little uh, paragraph when I did the main topic intro, but apparently for main topic two, mm-hmm. Derek, I know, you are very well known in the PDH community as uh, for, for your very unique and very interesting deck building style. Um, you don't just run out there with, with a normal deck that you slap together. Like Yours are very intricate, they're very thought out, they're very well designed, and I'm kind of happy that you agreed to come on this episode with us and talk us through some of your uh, approaches, your... Um, to this facet of the game, to deck building, to brewing from scratch, to picking a commander, to doing all these things. And I think you even brought your own uh, pillars, dare I say. Is that correct? Yeah, there are, there are, there are five five pillars. Five pillars? Uh, okay, yeah. all right, all right. And an I underlying I, theme. I don't understand. <laughs> sure. A pillar is something that holds up a building. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm, I'm on board with the idea of pillars. I just, I, I'm, okay. I'm trying to wrap my head around the number. It feels mm. incorrect feels like well, one too we'll many, get, maybe? We'll are get we, to that. So, are we sure we counted them correctly? Because I... Well, it'll all make sense in a moment. So, okay, I trust you. There are four <laughs> central... Uh, there, there, there are five pillars and one kind of underlying theme. So okay, I get it. Yeah, when I'm building decks, um, you know, I think brewing is a really, really great mental exercise uh, if you are just, like, invested in, in playing Commander or Pauper Commander. You know, a lot of the ways that you can kind of contextualize the format, um, contextualize how cards function, what cards can do, is going to change pretty drastically depending on how willing you are to kind of shift the context in which you kind of look at these cards and evaluate these cards mm-hmm. um, and put them in different shells and different environments and, and see how they play. And I think that's one thing that stands out about you is like, I've never, I've played plenty of games against you with plenty of different decks that you've built. And I've, in every single game, I've always said, oh, I didn't expect that card to be in there. It's actually really good. Like there's always something in it, it, anywhere from like one to eight cards in any (laughs) any given deck of yours that always sort of like surprises me that ends up working out really well. Yeah. Yeah. It's something where like, you know, I I approach everything kind of intuitively. Um, You know, I, I don't have like a deck building framework, you know, I know there's a lot of people who are like, okay, I need eight removal spells. I need um, oh, yeah, yeah, eight yeah. cards that support this theme. I need 10 cards that do this. And then, you know, it's, a, it's like a recipe. Um, I'm much more of, I've described my deck building style as like, you know, in like a heist movie. And there's always that one like old school safe cracker that eschews all the other like fancy equipment and drills and all that <laughs> stuff. And he just kind of like puts his ear to the wall and spins the dial. Uh-huh. Um, that's, that's how I build decks. I don't have any fancy tools, fancy tricks. I just kind of um, you do it by let, feel. Yep. I just kind of let my brain do the work, and I do it by touch. Yep. And then make adjustments going forward as I need to. But but for the first draft, it's all by touch. A big part of that, you know, it, it comes from um, kind of this underlying theme that I mentioned earlier is, is curiosity. Uh, you you have to really want to find answers to interesting problems if you want to brew like really interesting decks, in my opinion. You can't just yeah. you know be like okay for this commander i have this removal suite and i'm just going to include the 10 best removal spells and, and that's that you know right on my way it's about looking at cards and and seeing how they fit together and like maybe this removal spell maybe mechanically or in a vacuum like quote unquote weaker but it does something different and interesting and it changes the game in a much more unique way than it would if i went with something else so it requires like the ability to kind of hunker down, get familiar with the cards that are available to you and ask yourself questions like why are the like why are staples staples and 
do I need to actually play with them if they're going to be just boring? You know, like that kind of thing. And it, one of the things I run into, too, with my own process, my own, you know, if I get stuck or I want to brew a new deck or whatever, and I just go on Scryfall and start searching is I often, and I think a lot of players do this, too. I often fall down the rabbit hole of, oh, this commander is different and I'm going to build it just because it's different. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to be different, so I'm going to pick this one that no one's ever brewed around. And it just ends up being a basic deck that you could have any commander at the helm. Probably a better yeah. one. You and could I pick only a, built it uh, because know, it was different. You have your wacky mono black commander, but then it's just like Pestilence, Crypt Rats, uh, Demir House Guard, yeah. <laughs> you know, like all of that stuff. Um, yeah, bingo. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's a waste First of time. First of all, yep. how dare you call me out by name like this? <laughs> Second of all, I, that's... That's yeah, it. That's that's completely yeah. fair. Second of all, see the first of all. Yeah, like if you're gonna do a wacky thing, like if you're gonna pick a wacky commander, like lean into it, you know, like do something yes. interesting. Yeah. Um because yeah, we've all seen those like cards a, a million times. And is it Spellslinger ninety nine when you know, with a wacky commander when you know TPI is probably the best choice and it's probably really what you wanted to do in the first place. Exactly. Um I think, you know, the best games of Commander and Pauper Commander are those that are memorable and that we can tell stories about. And those are going to, uh, most of the time, involve situations that you're encountering for the first time that just catch you off guard and impress themselves in your memory. Yeah. And, and weird, goofy cards interacting with the table in a weird, goofy way that you've never anticipated is kind of just what the doctor ordered there. So I think, I think having a curiosity to look deeper into the card pool and, and kind of slaughter the sacred cows and, and look for creative solutions to, you know, the, the problems that you set for yourself is, is really integral to the process. Yeah, and that's not just in the command zone. Like, get, get curious, get creative with the 99, with your land base, with, with every aspect of it. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so that said, I, I just want to kind of get that out of the way because that's kind of like an underlying yeah. thing that I think is really important, but it's not like one of the central questions that I ask myself when I build decks, um, but worth mentioning nonetheless. Um, are you ready for pillar one? Absolutely. Let's do it. Dave? <laughs> Let's go. Okay. <laughs> Tell I me about a Pillar 1. Pillar 1 is, uh, I, whenever I, I build Commander decks, I usually start with a Commander that I want to build around. And I ask myself a series of four, four questions. The first of which is, what does this Commander do? Very simply. And what I mean by that is, is what does this Commander mechanically do? Um, what are the words on the card, and what effect does it have on the battlefield? You know, um, pretty simple stuff. It's, it's tough to conceptualize a deck around a card that you don't really grasp the full meat of if that makes sense like if you don't know what a card does mechanically then how can you build a deck around it so it's sure. really about squaring up kind of what it does and, and and understanding the ins and outs of that uh dave i know i mentioned to uh some chagrin that uh, a card that i use a lot when i talk about this sort of process is charade of the numbing depths uh, from Wilds of Eldraine. <laughs> yeah. It's a really good example. Um, any kind, any of the um, like signpost uncommons from recent standard sets are great examples here, but I like to use this one because I like the card. Shreya the Numbing Depths, for those of you who don't know, is a 2-3 is a Merfolk Wizard for a white, blue, and 2 generic. When she enters the battlefield, she taps an untapped creature, I believe it's untapped creature, and puts a stun counter on it that your opponent controls. So it freezes a thing, and then has a secondary passive ability that whenever you tap an untapped creature that you know, an opponent controls, you draw a card. So, you know, the floor on this card is, is basically like ETB, freeze a thing, draw a card. That's like what the card does as a baseline, which I think is very serviceable. And, and you know, it, it leaves a lot of room open for interpretation as well as, as where you want to go with it. So that's why I think it's a good example for this. Let's see. But yeah, I mean, it, 
the trick here is, you know, cards like Sheree are really easy to grok. Like, it tells you exactly what it's about and what it wants you to try and accomplish. But there's also, like, a lot of non-prescriptive commanders out there that just really don't lend themselves to that kind of, like, on-the-nose evaluation. Mm-hmm. A card that we talked about a lot in the pre-show is Viconia, Drow Apostate. It's a card that I've been building with for a lot over the last couple of weeks. And she reads, you know, at the beginning of your upkeep, you have four or more creatures in your graveyard. You can return a creature at random from your graveyard to your hand. This card doesn't really tell you what it wants to be doing, just that like creatures need to be in your graveyard for it to turn on. Yeah. Um, it doesn't give you it doesn't give you like a specific mechanic to build around. It doesn't give you any specific keywords or themes to build around. It doesn't really do anything like that. It just it provides an effect and it's up to you to kind of fill in the blanks. Yep. So like that's a that's a card that's much harder to evaluate than something like Sheree, which is very explicit. So that's kind of the first step that I take when I build a deck is I take the commander that I want to build around and I figure out exactly what it's telling me to do, because that's going to inform how I interpret what archetype it wants me to be and what strategies it wants me to employ, you know, those yeah. sorts of things. That's pillar one. Any questions on pillar one, by the way? No, no what, seems very clear. What usually, yeah. what usually grabs your interest for commanders to build around? Is it just like a mood thing? Is it random? Like, I know when I find commanders, it, I'm just like, I, it's a mix. Uh, I want a Rakdos commander, and I'll just go <laughs> down that rabbit hole. You know what I mean? Yeah, usually I'll see something that just kind of, like, hits me. Like with Sheree, I, I like... Uh, like tempo decks, like aggressive tempo creature-based tempo decks. And Sheree is like kind of that to me. Like she taps a thing, gives you a card. Um, there's a lot of other cards out there that'll do that same kind of thing, and it lets you attack past blockers and do that sort of thing. I, I, I like that those gameplay patterns. So that's why that card kind of appealed to me. But generally, it's it's a combination of things. You know, the mechanics of the card, the colors of the card, what cards it lets me play, yeah. like what pet mm-hmm. cards I can I can potentially sleeve up, like those sorts of things. But usually it's it's a mix of a bunch of different things. There's no real like hard and fast rules to it. I know it when sure. I see it is a good way to describe it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same here. So pillar pillar two is the second question I asked myself. Now this question is very similar to question one, but it's a little more esoteric. Question two, so question one was what does this commander do? And question two is what is this commander asking me to do? This that, is that where is a little more nuanced. Yep. Yeah. This is where you kind of have to reckon with like what archetypes and strategies you want to be including for for this commander. So once you have an idea of like the granular like rule sex of the card, what it does mechanically, you can kind of wiggle it into your overarching like philosophy of Commander and PDH mm-hmm. and see what you want to use those mechanics in service of, if that makes sense. So for example, like for me, when I see Sheree of the Numbing Depths, I want to build an aggressive tempo-based like aggro deck. I want to play cards like Frost Trickster. I want to play cards like Core Hookmaster. I want to play like spells that tap a thing and draw me a card because there's like divinations and they create forward tempo. Like a really kind of like interactive, aggressive deck. That's what I want to be doing with that card. That's what that card is asking me to do. Mm-hmm. It might be asking an to play nothing but cards that tap their opponent's creatures and not play win conditions, <laughs> uh, which I know was Dave's concern with this card. That's fair. And not let anybody take game actions, which is something that this card can do, but it's not what that card is is asking me to do as a deck builder. A lot of this is 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 based upon kind of your experience with the magic, what you like to be doing, that all provides context that the mechanics of the card can slot very naturally into to kind of form a more fully fledged idea of what you want your deck to do. Whether you're playing aggro, control, mid-range deck, whatever, like it's kind of that mix of raw mechanics and kind of personal preference that really shapes kind of the, the core concepts of what you're building your deck to function as, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, this is kind of like the hardest question to ask yourself, but also I think the most important. 
And then that leads very, very clearly and directly into uh, pillar number three, the question, what other cards do that thing? Once you decide on the thing that you want to be doing, you need to find other cards that support that. So like I mentioned, like cards like Frost Trickster, Hook or Hookmaster, these cards that enter the battlefield, freeze the thing, and then you can attack past those creatures that you tap, right? You, you right. Yep. attack and, and do all that stuff. I get to play the game I want to play, and I find cards that let me do that in a meaningful way. For every mechanical suite of cards, there's going to be those that adhere kind of like strongest to those metrics that you want to follow. Mm-hmm. And then obviously like can blend into other tertiary synergies. It's really important to kind of keep your eyes on the prize and build like as focused a deck as possible for a first draft. Yeah, I, I know it's very easy. Quite a bit. Yeah, it's very easy to like <laughs> say like, okay, I want these specific kinds of cards, but like, oh, this creature has an ability that lets me do this completely other thing that's like related, but like separate, but really cool. Yeah, it's got synergies with two other cards in the deck. Yeah, and it's yeah. really easy to fall down a rabbit hole there. Oh, um, yeah. I, I, I think it's really important because the deck's not going to remain in that first draft stage forever, right? You're going to tune it. You're going to develop it as time goes on. There's time to build in those tertiary synergies if you want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no better way to get an idea of like how a deck functions than by adhering strictly to what you decide the strategy you want to do, focusing entirely on those creatures that tap down other creatures, those cards that let me uh, you know, be aggressive with Shuray's triggers. I want to pack the deck full of as many of those things as possible. And then later on down the line, if I need to, I can branch out a little bit once I get an idea of the parameters I'm working within, like if it works or not, you know? Yeah, and I think the two commanders you've mentioned so far are very good examples. Like Shiray is awesome because it tells you what to do, basically, how to build your deck, mm-hmm. what it wants, what it, you know, the end result of your deck, what it's going to look like, how you're going to get there, that sort of thing. Whereas uh, Viconia is just like, this is what I'd like you to do, or this is sort of like the quality of yeah. your deck that needs to be present, but how you get there is up to you, and, and what you do with it is up to you. But this right. is what I like to see in a deck, so you take it from there. So it's almost like two different approaches, but sort of like on the same you know, same road almost, but just two different um, pathways. Yeah, exactly. And and then like obviously, you know, all decks need things like you're, you're going to have to have some removal spells in there, interactive spells, whatever. Um, yeah. Those might not hear as strongly, but like you want to get your core functionality of the deck down. And then, you know, once you have a comfortable amount of stuff in there, then you can, you know, put in, you can salt to taste, you know, with uh, thematic interaction, disparate, you know, quality of life pieces, that kind of thing. But yeah, a I lot mean, of people like, fall down these rabbit holes too, where they're just like, and I've done it before where yeah. I find a cool commander or partner pair I want to build. So I log into Moxfield, I start building the deck and I build it out of a hundred cards that I remember. As opposed sure. to digging through Skyfall, looking for mechanics that fit, synergies that fit, colors that work, power and toughnesses that work, depending on your commander. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like, oh, these are the 100 cards I know will automatically go in the deck, so let's just build that. And then you right. sort of are just stuck with another deck that's not a lot different than what you've already built. It just may be yeah. different colors. Yeah, it's, if, if you don't take the time to like become familiar with the card pool, it's very easy to just build kind of like samey decks. Um, yep. And, you know, like there's something you said for... For that, like, uh, you know, I don't have a problem playing against cards that I've seen a million times before. Oh, you know, for it, sure, it's for bound sure. Bound to happen. Yep. But you know, if if it's something that you want to take on to like build more in depth and and kind of develop your deck building muscles, then you really need to just take the time, like pour through Scryfall, like see what's out there and and what exists, yep. um, to give yourself a bigger baseline. But yeah, or else you're just gonna build the same deck every single time. Yep, which is commander being different. And so that's kind of like the third thing. So to kind of recap, you know, we picked our commander. We know what that commander does. We know how we want to use that commander mechanically. 
and now we we flesh it out with with cards that support that that theme that game plan and then like the most important thing is pillar number 4 the question is is this thing actually fun this is a tough one uh <laughs> what i mean by that is is this thing actually uh, is this thing fun for me and is this thing fun for the people that i'm playing magic with yes um both are just as important so like i can't even begin to tell you how many times I've gone through like building decks that seems like on paper to be really cool, synergistic, all the pieces fit together, and then I just play it and it's just kind of miserable. Um, mm-hmm. Not just for me, but like also my opponents. Decks that like are doing a huge cool thing, but that huge cool thing is like me playing solitaire for twenty minutes. Um, right, right. Where it's just like this isn't fun for anybody, and like I did the thing, but I don't really want to do the thing ever again. I, uh, I did the makes thing, sense. but at what cost? And yeah, now costs, now right? what? You know, I've done it once, and now every time I play this deck, I'm just going to be doing that same thing every time. Yeah, and um, you'll understand the um, sort of the language of the community that way, too. Like, in our Discord, if I post, a, you know, hey, I'm thinking about building this commander that I've never approached before, if people like uh, Sniff or the pals come in or Dave comes in and they're like, that one's miserable, I know that they mean it's miserable for everyone involved. Not oh. like it's a hard commander to build or it's a boring deck. Like it's a miserable play experience for everyone at the table. Don't oh, do we're, it. Oh, we're talking about Colrath Knight now. Yes, we are certainly <laughs> well, talking that's a good about Colrath Knight. Yep. Yeah. And it's happened before where Sniff is like, don't do that. It's not fun. We've done it. We took it apart. Whatever. Yeah. But yeah, specifically Colrath Knight uh, apparently is just. Um, it's a card that when, like, when you do what Colrath Knight asks you to do, no one else gets to really play Magic. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> But it's yeah. so, ugh, it's such a, and that's not even the thing I want to do. Like, I don't want to build decks like that. I want everybody to play right. and attack and swing and interact. But like, the design is so unique for our format. Right. It's kind that of it's drawing me in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very attractive. Yeah. I mean, so what I always do is kind of ask myself if this is a deck that's able to, you know, like modulate in terms of power level and player experience. Mm-hmm. Kind of a tough pill to swallow is that while, you know, like the best games of Commander are the ones where we all get to have a good, nice time and we get to do our thing, you know, do the thing, you know, trademark, uh, that kind right, of thing. Right, right. <laughs> um, at the end of the day, like, we really can only control our own contribution to that experience. So, mm-hmm. like, being able to understand when what you're doing is miserable for everybody is, like, a really important skill and is going to be the death knell for a lot more decks than you might think. And that's a good thing. You know, it's... It's also, I don't mean to be kind of doom and gloom about it, it's also really easy sure. to just like stay true to what you want to be doing and also recognize and, and like excise those kind of negative play experience or play patterns. Mm-hmm. You just kind of have to feel it out a little bit. And, and it's easier when you're not playing on spell table because you can like see people's faces and their reactions <laughs> in real time and that kind of thing. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, audible their size through over spell the table are, yep. Yeah, that's something. <laughs> but like in an LGS setting, for example, like when you're playing with the same people week to week, it's really important to be mindful of what you're bringing to the table because if you're able to modulate what you're doing to fit in with the community that is being cultivated at LGS, it's only going to like make things better for you. Mm-hmm. Um, people are going to be only going to be wanting to play with you more. It's something that I found, you know, would be really valuable in how I've established myself at like my current LGS, my previous LGS, like building decks that are interesting, that don't cut people off from doing their thing that contribute, you know, positively to the overall experience it's been a really big big boon and this is kind of the process that i go through the thought process that i have when i'm you know thinking about building a deck and taking it for the first time Mm -hmm. to like my first visit to the lgs like when i moved to texas you know i I really put a lot of thought into the decks that i was bringing to my first night at the lgs right because you don't want to make a bad impression you don't want to just like be the guy that uh you know took the 20 minute turn and bored everyone to tears yeah and like like hearkening back to what dave said 
at what cost? Like, right. Yeah. yeah going, going back to Sheree, like, again, like, you know, Dave does not like this card because it's really easy to just make the game miserable for everybody if you choose to do that. Mm-hmm. And it, and, and believe me, there will be people that choose to do that. Um, that's never how I will build a Sheree deck. Like I've said, you know, I, I, I like to build a very, like, more aggressively slanted deck because the miserable thing that you're doing by tapping down people's creatures every turn is in service of something that moves the game forward, right? Like attacking them to death in a proactive way rather than just like keeping everything tapped and like drawing towards a combo. Yes. Like doing nothing, just like freezing the game and then doing nothing, then draw go, you know, like that's a waste of everyone's time. If you're able to demonstrate at least that like this thing that is other, that would be otherwise negative to the experience is actually in service of something that is positive. Um, mm-hmm. It kind of shifts the context there. So that's why Sheree, I think is an interesting example here in most games. Like, you know, commander is a very narratively driven format. So I think shifting direction of the game more towards combat and proactivity rather than just like, you know, staying alive and and denying game actions, I think goes a long way to like whether or not a a game is going to be viewed positively or negatively. Yeah. And it's going to create, it's going to drastically affect the stories that that game created in the Mm -hmm. future. You know, a month from now, are they going to talk about the uh, positive aspects of of the game and how they lost to your cool deck? Are they going to, sort of piss and moan about losing to a miserable tap control deck and they don't right they yeah like they never oh, see I, it again all my creatures were tapped the whole game i couldn't do anything versus just like my creatures were tapped so it was hard for me to race this person to death you know like, right exactly exactly yeah yep. but that's why like i really like the aggressive slant with shrey because you know when you turn the game into a damage race just you have tools to facilitate that damage race whereas they may not it mm-hmm. becomes more of a challenge rather than just like sitting there and getting tapped out every turn but yeah, I mean, it's something that you have to do over time. Like you have to play the decks over and over again, go back, tweak, be willing to just like take it apart if it's something that you can't make work. Yeah, and if it's something like Sheree or something that you perceive could be, because a lot of times when you build a deck, especially from scratch, it's hard to, uh, what's the cliche? It's hard to see the forest for the trees. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes you have to talk to your play group or to the people you're playing with and be like, this is what I did. This is what I'm trying to do give me feedback on the deck even if i won the game give me feedback on the deck like what did you like as opponents what didn't you like and and that really comes in handy you don't have to do it every single time but those things that that feedback from other players will really uh pay off dividends Mm -hmm. i think yeah and all this is to say like the brewing process does not stop when you have completed the when you when you have like the hundred cards together right yeah when you put it in sleeves it's not over yeah, uh, it goes on. It, it goes on until you take the deck apart, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. There's always things to tune. There's always things to adjust. Um, you just need to be willing to ask yourself kind of tough questions and and be willing to, like I said before, like kind of slaughter the sacred cows a little bit and yeah. uh, you know, shelf cards that otherwise might be better in service of things that create a better play experience. And remember and those cards that you took to out, that. you know, you put those cards in the first time or the first draft of the deck for a reason. It's probably because mm-hmm. you liked them or they worked with some synergy that you enjoyed. So even if you end up taking them out of that deck, remember those cards because they're going to pay off somewhere else. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like, like just because a card sucks in charade doesn't mean you'll never play it again anywhere ever because it's terrible. Yeah. That's just not how yeah, it works. This is all just like an ongoing thing. You, you accumulate such a, a broad base of knowledge about the cards that you have that every deck you build will make the next one better. Right. Yeah. I like what I mentioned before about Vaconia. Like, Vaconia has been a really great example of this process in action for me because she is so non prescriptive, right? She's so broad in terms of like, she doesn't really tell you what to do. The background mm-hmm. is where you really start to add a lot of context to her. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I have a Golgari version with Cloakwood Hermit. 
And so, oh, like, when I look good. at these cards, like, you know, it's very easy to kind of grok what these cards do mechanically. But, like, what are they asking me to do? Like, Vaconia just wants creatures in my graveyard, okay? And Cloakwood Hermit triggers when things enter my graveyard. So, like, a way that I can add creatures to my graveyard while just, like, very easily putting them in my graveyard and, and building up that threshold to four very quickly is cycling creatures is what I decided on very quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, cycling a creature will trigger Cloakwood Hermit and it'll contribute towards Vaconia. And when Vaconia triggers, if I get back a cycling creature, I can just trade it in for a new card. So it's it, it became like a really, really naturally easy shell to build. Tons of land cyclers, tons of things that just like very effortlessly find their way into your graveyard to keep Cloakwood Hermit triggering, to turn Vaconia on and keep her triggering every turn. Mm-hmm. And you just generate a ton of value. You know, once you're able to like latch onto something with, with a non-prescriptive commander like this, that's like one of the really exciting things. When you find something compelling about these cards that maybe you initially overlooked or, or people or others initially overlooked. I think I said this in the pre-show. One thing I love about this card is that I think it's been pretty tragically um, under-respected and misevaluated. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know, people look at it and they think to themselves, okay, this is, you know, overgrown cemetery, an old enchantment from Onslaught, where if you have four or more creatures in your graveyard on your upkeep, you get to return one of them to your hand. You target the card you want to return. And Vaconia is a similar thing, except she does it at random. People see that random clause and think to themselves, well, I can't plan for, I can't plan for what I get. So that's bad. That's exactly what turns off most people that want to brew that is the, just that one word, just that random word. Yep. So my, my, my idea was like, okay, what if we turned that randomness and made it an asset rather than like a detriment, right? Like mm-hmm. what if we just can recontextualized what the card did um, and equated it more to like, just like drawing an extra card every turn rather than like getting back something specific. And then once you kind of click that in your head, all of a sudden, like a lot of things become very, very good. Like all the cycling creatures, right? Like if I have, you know, uh, a Sakura tribe elder, a, a a four cycler a one mana cycling creature and like i don't know uh a street wraith or something mm-hmm. and i get one of them back at random i'm getting another card or a land out of that at, at as a baseline i'm just drawing sure. an extra card right. that does something um or if it's a big land cycler i can cycle it for a land get it back later cast it for its big old creature have you know mm-hmm. like there's a lot of really cool ways that you can kind of recontextualize things change the way that you look at different lines of text really kind of dive in and, and like I said before, you ask what the card is is requiring of you. Um, and there's multiple ways to interpret every card, and it just takes a little bit of, of you know, frame of reference to do that. Mm-hmm. Ready, for, uh, ready for Pillar 5? No. This is the final what? pillar. <laughs> I, I don't think Dave's emotionally ready for a fifth pillar. Are you ready? Uh, I no, hinted at it in the pre-show. Tell it to me anyway. Do it. Let's do pillar it. Pillar 5 is how do we not run out of gas? <gasps> Wait a second. That sounds familiar. That does sound familiar. Okay, okay. I'm... That's a, sounds like yeah. good content. Yeah. <laughs> Tell, what's the answer to Pillar? How, how do we not run out of gas? Yeah, how do we do that? You play card draw spells. What? Oh, it's so easy. The files right. are in the computer. <laughs> That's exactly right. This so is a bit simple. Of, a bit of inside baseball for your listeners. Yeah, behind the scenes, if you will. That's right. Why? <laughs> why am I not running divination in every single deck? Because now there's an instant speed one that's strictly better. There really uh, is. N- that's does a good that, reason to run question? 
two divinations in every single <laughs> That's deck. a great reason to run two divinations. Or depending on the deck, you want to run, you know, hieroglyphic illumination or deep analysis or um, any number of card draw spells that are better or worse, depending on what commander you're playing. Yep. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. Like Faconia, I don't have draw spells. I have uh, creatures that cycle to, to draw me a card. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which sort of halfway does the thing Viconia wants you to do. That's right. Put creatures in your graveyard. Yeah. So hopefully that that kind of gives you a little bit of a glimpse into how I approach building my decks. You know, obviously that's kind of like a Cliff Notes version. I could talk about this stuff forever. But um but yeah, it, it involves a lot of just sitting down and thinking really hard and and being like I think the the biggest distillation of wisdom I can have is, is being willing to Ask yourself tough questions and find creative answers to them um, is kind of like the biggest the biggest aspect of it. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that you've really, I don't want to say leaned into, but like something you're very good at when you build a deck, even if it's with a commander that you see all the time or has a thousand decks on Moxfield or whatever. You're very good at finding different um, answers, different avenues for the 99, for all the commons that are in the deck without doing it just for the sake of being different. Right, yeah. You know I, mean, I mean, I I don't like playing decks that I would not want to play against. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. just like you know, with, with win conditions, I don't want to win the game in a way that I would not want to lose the game. If that makes sense. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like I don't like I don't like losing the game to to Drake Flicker. So I don't I just don't do that. <laughs> um, right. Yep. You know, it, it's just one of those sorts of situations. So that's kind of like. A, a, a mentality that I, I find myself in a lot. It's not about being different. It's just about wanting to share all of the cool cards that I'm aware of that other people might not be, and maybe show some somebody something they've never seen before. I, I I really like it when people like ask to read my cards, for example. Oh yeah, that's that's something yeah. that I, I I really enjoy. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think there's so many really awesome magic cards out there that don't get any attention because of the way that you know power creep and things being designed explicitly for commander and all these things that are kind of like warping the landscape a little bit um there's a lot of cards that just you know go ignored um that are really really cool and do really really unique things and um i really really like it when people show an interest in 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 those sorts of things um and i I love showing them off yeah yeah and you do it very well i think you've found a nice um sort of area to be in where you are able to brew with your pet cards or you're able to brew with these very interesting cards that haven't seen play in a decade or people don't really know about or they haven't heard about but you also um, at the same time sort of on the opposite hand you're able to make those cards playable in the deck that they're in like you haven't found an old card and you know found a way to make it good in every single deck you know it's not like this uncovered gem you know or whatever but you found a way to make it really good in the deck that you're put it in if that makes yeah, sense. I think I think every card has a home you know perfect there you go mm-hmm. thank you that's definitely something that I try to do um yeah I, I love building decks constantly doing it it's really hard to turn my brain off to not do it um now is I that just, something you, you know, do like when you're building out your 99 then you've got yeah. a suite of creatures or spells or whatever you're doing do you have these cards and then you look at them and like okay are there more eccentric ones i can find that do similar things or or do you automatically just sort of dig deep you know what i'm saying how do you not end up with your 
cookie cutter sort of deck for like a Shiray or something? How do you do you physically like go through pages and pages of Scryfall to find these obscure cards, or is it just sort of like your mental, your depth of knowledge with the game? I don't look. I don't. I don't. Uh, you know, build decks to be different for the sake of being different. Mm-hmm. I do it more to challenge myself as a deck builder, like taking unique ideas and building them out. It's more of a challenge to me. I don't. I don't do it. Um, like to to say to say like you know look how different I'm being. Yeah, like look um, at me, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like when I when I am building a commander, um, like Sheree, for example, I'll, I'll look through Skyfall. I kind of have an idea just because I'm familiar with so many cards. I just kind of have an idea of, of what I'm putting in there to start. Um, but if I need to like fill in some gaps, I, I always do a Scryfall search um, just in case there's anything that I'm missing or that I haven't seen before. If it if it looks like it passes muster for what I want to be doing, like for example, if I want to build a deck like to play competitively, for example, the incentives are a lot different. But uh, for just like casual casual games, um, you know, I, I will look for something that's pretty different if if it like looks really cool. Uh, like for example, like um, there's a card from Portal Three Kingdoms. I think it's called Riding the White Hair or something like that. It's a three mana spell. <laughs> it's a white and two colors for a sorcery. It gives a creature plus three plus three and horsemanship until end of turn. So it gives a thing plus three plus three unblockable. Like I'm working on a deck kind of on the side piece by piece where that card would be good, um, mm-hmm. and that's the that's the home for it, you know. But you know where I can if Riding you know, the it, red it doesn't hair. interfere too much in the functionality of the card or a functionality of the deck to include something that's a little bit further off base, then, then mm-hmm. maybe I will. It depends on the audience that I'm, that I'm playing with, and it depends on kind of my goals for the deck. But I'm not opposed to that by any stretch of the imagination, just like putting something in that's really, really, really weird just for you know the sake of putting a weird card, and I'll do it. But it yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> It'll cost you games, but I'll do it. <laughs> uh, and it's writing red hair. Yeah, that's the so one. You, yep, yeah, we were close. It's a cool card. I've never actually yeah. seen that one before. Yeah, it's really cool. Now you you mentioned casual and competitive. Is that something you uh, ha- actively think about when brewing a deck, or you just sort of see where the deck ends up, and then yeah, that'll that'll tell you where it's at. Usually, I I start when you know once once I kind of figure out what the card is is what the card does, and and that ask myself that for a question first question and move on to number two, like what is the card asking me to do? Mm-hmm. That's where I'll kind of figure out if I want to be more competitive or casual with it because that'll inform step number three, you know, picking the cards that I want to include. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I, I'm oddly enough, like a lot of the decks that I have right now are leaning more competitive. Um, I don't have as many casual decks as I did. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I'm no, trying right. to do now is like build out more, more casual decks and it, there's a lot more freedom to, to get a little funky with it. Were you fine tuning the casual decks you had to make them competitive, or did you sort of start from no. scratch for some of them? Started from scratch. I go into it building, like looking to build a competitive deck. Okay. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I and don't want. Even... I don't want to like cross my signals at all, or like cross any wires. I just I want to be very clear about my expectations with myself in terms of what I'm doing. Oh, that's fair, and that's. I think that's a level of self awareness or introspection that a lot of Magic players either don't have aren't aware exists or don't care to get you know what i'm saying like not a (laughs) lot of people can build decks with that that sort of mindset if you will yeah i I think you know it's important to just be honest with yourself about what what goals you're trying to accomplish um like with vaconia i i with you know the 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 golgari version that i have i built that deck from from the perspective of like being a competitive deck based off of like the success that islane has been having with severus like a golgari safer deck i wanted to see if I could 
you know, take the other kind of like redheaded stepchild, so to speak, of you know, black <laughs> background commanders and um, see what it's capable of. And so that's kind of was what I went into that 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 process with. Yeah, and that's Tech sort of why I, I asked. Like, there's there is still a lot of room in the CPDH or competitive popper commander scene to be this curious yep. and to be this creative. Lots of room. Yes. Yep. It is not um, not by any means solved. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. I mean, there are like quote unquote like top tier decks, whatever. But sure, like, yep. It's not foolproof. The format is very, very open in terms of what you can bring to the table and like be successful with. Mm -hmm. um, just by the nature of like being such a battlefield like board focused format, like it's 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 very very easy to build something like really interesting that that is able to very significantly impact competitive tables. But yeah, again, just being just just knowing what you're going to do and 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 having that clarity, I think, is, is really important. Yeah, just sort of like be honest with yourself. I think we talked about it in the pre-show uh, when I built wood, or actually I asked uh, Infamous Fridge to help me build Woodvine Elemental because there was like mm -hmm. four different directions I wanted to go and I wasn't totally sure. But all I knew is that I wanted a Selesnya deck that was not Seder Enchanter, yep. but had a significant or noticeable uh, amount of card advantage in it and that's not, not something normally selesnia does it, it, it'll make card advantage in the form of like tokens or creatures or counters uh, but i wanted something a little bit different and so we landed on woodvine elemental with parlay and it was exactly that it's exactly what you've been talking about it was different enough to where i felt satisfied that i had gotten what i wanted out of it mm -hmm. and it also ended up being kind of good yeah and people don't yeah. mind it like it's so um even people that lose to it or that have seen it multiple times are like, that deck is hella fun. Are you yeah, bringing doing, that deck? Play it again. I want to see it. Yada, yada, yada. Doing big, powerful things is, is awesome. Um, yeah. and, and even better when they're not like oppressive to the rest of the table, right? Like going to combat mm -hmm. and parlaying and attacking with a giant thing. Like no one's going to, that's, that's awesome. Like yeah. it's, it's not, you know, putting your thumb on the table and holding everyone down. You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. What yeah, do you think, Dave? I have been really enjoying listening to these pillars because like some of them are some of them are things that I sort of do like I I don't I don't know that I've ever thought about it explicitly in these words but the, they are things that I do think about when I'm trying to put a deck together like specifically mm -hmm. what what is the commander asking me to do and what cards will support that plan yeah and I, I very, I'm a huge fan of this sort of nuance on Pillar Two. What, what is the commander asking me personally to do? It's not, what is, what is this commander asking a generic deck builder to do? It's like, what, what is it asking? How, how is this speaking to me personally, and how am I going to put my own spin on this to make it yes, mine? Yes, like exactly. That, that lens, is, is a great way for me to sort of think about like some of the things I've done with like Ozra Oddsmaker. I feel like yeah. my Oddsmaker list is distinct from other people's because it, in, in much the same way that you described that your charade deck would be different from other people's charade decks. And I, that's a great like lens for me to process that yeah. phenomenon. And I appreciate that. The pillar three, what other cards do that? I think that's a really, that's where I get hung up sometimes. Like, <laughs> especially with with some of the new Ixalan commanders coming out and mild spoilers here for the next episode uh mm -hmm. there's the merfolk that does cool things when you explore yeah when i saw that i got really excited 
And then uh-huh. I, I, d- I immediately did a scryfall search for what blue-green commons let you explore, yeah. and there's many. like eight. And I was like, yeah, oh, well then, <laughs> I guess this is never happening. But, I mean, yeah. in defense, I did the same thing. When Colleen got printed, I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, how much treasure production is there in black-red? And, like, there wasn't – it wasn't there. And I I wrote off Colleen as, like, unplayable because she didn't have the support in the 99 in terms of what other cards are going to enable me to do that thing that she is asking me to do. And mm-hmm. now Colleen is a powerhouse because we kept on so getting good. support it's for treasure. So good. And she's, yeah, like, I, super I, fun. I think it'll be cool to see once the full spoiler comes out if we get any more explore creatures that comment, which I'm sure we will, but also like the map token stuff. Um, right, right, explores. right. So, is yeah, that yeah. so we'll certainly get some more. I'm not sure if it'll be enough to support that commander. I hope there is because I really like right. that. I, I, love, I love the explore mechanic personally. And like um, the yeah. Earthshaker Dreadmaw as well. Like, I badly want Earthshaker <laughs> Dreadmaw as a 6 6 trampling dinosaur that ETBs and draws you a card for each other dinosaur you control. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. I yep. ferociously want this to be a thing that I can do. <laughs> Uh-huh. But like green doesn't have the bounce or the <laughs> yeah, flicker am... or the grave flicker to be able to reuse this. I mean, like you can ancestral statue and I get or guess or like invasive species, like that'll get you a couple extra triggers. You just do spending you like do the, the noise marine strategy where you just run it into people. And <laughs> yeah, see, I, mean, I, ch- I tried I that there's... with armor craft judge, and everyone's just like, "I'll take three. I don't want you to recast." <laughs> six is six is not <laughs> six three, is though. different. The... Six is way different though. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, there's one green ninja. So, I mean, <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, that yeah. gets you uh-huh. one bounce out of a failed combat maneuver. There's no red ninjas. Very sad. But yeah, there's yeah, only like the, um... green only has like three or four ways to put it back into your hand, and like it only has something like twenty dinosaurs. So like this yeah. is very upsetting right now. It's something that I need to just keep an eye on in terms of what other cards are going to allow me to do the thing that this commander wants me to do. Yeah. Um, there's ancestral statue. You can always go. Yep. Yep. That route. The, the yeah, statue. There's <laughs> invasive species. Yeah. There's a couple. Yeah. I will say a good exercise for anybody who kind of wants to, you know, work out this muscle a little bit, this deck building muscle. Take any of the signpost commanders from any of the last, you know, few standard sets, and like look at it and whatever your first instinct is about what what that deck is, what that card is, what kind of deck that card's telling you to build. Don't do that. Do something different. Yep. Yep. Mm. And, I always see what I've always done that because it is very interesting. And ninety nine percent of the time, I'm not going to build a deck for them. But it's cool to sort of like explore, you know, right? Take out the set that it was in. Don't worry about what its limited environment was like. Like just look at that commander and what it does, and see what you can build around it. That's not just um, stamped out from all the rest of them. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, it, it, these cards are designed for one thing. Build a deck, uh, not explicitly doing that thing. Find another thing about that card to focus on. Yep. And see what you can come up with. It doesn't have to be playable. Just have like, just make a hundred card list. It could be, it could be god awful, but that's not the point. That's how I built yeah. Otter. There, yeah, you go. there you go. Yep. The, like I looked, I, my first draft of the Otter list, I was like, well, she pumps herself. So obviously I just need to go all in on all of the double strike <laughs> spells. And this is just going to be, I like I I put this list together and I looked at it and I was like this is just a really really bad crackling Drake list like this is just exactly. tier we dragonauts 
And like, yep. I don't want, I don't want that out of a deck. Like, I want to be casting a lot of spells. What if I just went all in on Thermo Alchemists and Firebrand Archers instead, and kept this whole suite of cantrips, and then only had one or two like Assault Strobes or Team or Battle Rages just as a as a finishing maneuver, mm -hmm. and like didn't mm -hmm. do much else for the rest of the game. That deck is way more fun. Like the second instinct is yeah. is the yep. the correct instinct for that deck, I think. Yep. Yeah, it's a really good way to just like force yourself to look look for cards that you otherwise wouldn't really pay attention to. Yeah, and um, I know that's kind of like the big meme too, and it seems like every new, um, except for maybe, well, no, even in Ixalan, uh, every new Orzov signpost uncommon, it's gonna be aristocrats, it's gonna be <laughs> sacrifice, but like it doesn't. Yes, that'll be you know, a good theme in the deck that you're building, but there's got to be something else that you can build around with that commander, whether it's a, uh, a, 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 a typal theme or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, weapons or equipment or what have you, enchantments, or is that sort of thing. It doesn't just have to be like, I say to sacrifice a creature, so you better put 99 cards in here that care about sacrificing creatures. Like, it doesn't have to be that straightforward. Right. Yeah, like if you look at the the uncommon legendary from Ixalan, the 2-1 vampire, you sacrifice an artifact or a creature to give it a counter. Uh -huh. um, like, this is a very open-ended commander, and it's telling you, you know, you want to play a lot of things that sacrifice for value, but, like, you could just do other stuff with it, too. You yeah, make you it could a do... <laughs> you, could, you could do a, you could do a clue, you could do, a, like, a, a clue food treasure-based deck. Um, right. With yep. nothing, with no, like, None of the like death synergies or anything like that. Just have like a ton of just make a ton of artifact tokens. I have like, or just have an artifact stack or something. Yeah, I like you how know? you said that you're like it wants you to sacrifice creatures with value, or you could just not do that. Yeah, <laughs> you could just do something else. <laughs> just make a just make it a bunch of like game objects like treasures, uh -huh. foods, maps, Card, cardboard uh, dot deck, yep. all of this stuff, and then just like use those for value, or use them to pump your commander, or you know, play a bunch of like well springs. Just yeah, like like a black. Orzov artifacts, sure. you know, yep. and there's all kinds of other synergies there. You know, you've got all of your like white recursive artifact cards. Um, there's a lot of different other synergies you can dip into by focusing on the artifact route rather than just like, oh, I'm going to sacrifice my hunted witness, get a token, drain everybody for one, like all this stuff, you know? Yeah, just like, you know, these are signpost uncommons that are built for the limited environment. But many times those two color uncommons. Uh, you can kind of squeeze them in a three-color deck because they work with other synergies, just like in PDH, you know, like you were just talking about it. Uh, on the surface, it's an aristocrat's commander, but it doesn't really have to be. Like, yeah. if you if you sort of squint and, and take it one step further, it doesn't have to be just straight up yeah. carrying feeders do, and mortician You do your beetles. dirtily artifact stuff, and then you can just, like, turn your commander really big and attack for commander damage. And that's to. it. Right, exactly. Yeah. So you kind of have to look beyond the rules text. And not, and sometimes there is no looking beyond the rules text. Sometimes some signposts on commons are just that straightforward, and you just kind of have to deal with it. But they're usually pretty powerful. So mm -hmm. you kind yeah. of pick your poison in that respect. Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of artifacts you can sacrifice to generate some card advantage. And it's, it's a lot of pretty cool engines you can do if you just, like, completely issue all of the, like, the normal, like, or scratch stuff. Like, don't play your Falkrath nobles. You know, don't play... Your Merkwood bats, like all the boring stuff that everybody's been doing, like do something really cool. Do something or like really just unique. pretend it doesn't have the word creature on it, and it's just sacrifice an artifact. What are you going to do yeah. then? How are you going to exactly build it focus then? on that aspect of the card? Yep. Yeah, so, little things like that. Like that's a really good example. This is this is the part of the episode where I reveal myself to be an insufferable hipster. <laughs> uh, sometimes, all right. 
when I look at a commander and I think, oh, that would be neat. I could do blank. And that's, you know, I, I, I go through the first instinct of like, here's here's what this commander is asking me to do. I'll, I'll sort of like go run through that. And then I'll do this exercise that you thought of like, what if I didn't do the obvious thing? What if I tried to do something else? Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you're looking at that and you're like, oh, there is absolutely nothing else. Literally yep. everyone who builds this commander is going to build it the exact same way. Like, when I hit that realization about a card, I just walk away from it. I just abandon it completely because I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah, if we, every single we had one this of these conversation. decks is going to be the same, it, it's I the uh, Arcbound Shikari I'll problem. Right. Borrow someone else's next time. Yep. Yeah. It's the Arcbound Shikari problem. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and that's totally fine. It's it's totally fine to just like stop building a deck before you even start, you know? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I, I stopped building Iraxa before I started. Like I was I saw the card and I got really excited about all the mechanical just the, mm-hmm. the mechanical monstrosity that she was as this four <laughs> mana five four uh-huh. trample battle cry token maker. I was like, this is nuts. Like I cause I yeah. I could see very clearly what she was asking me to do. And I feel like she's gonna ask everyone yep. to do the same thing. And I was like, I don't Yeah, she's very surface level. Yeah. And like I, I still love her. I'm still very enthusiastic about the card. As soon as someone mm-hmm. yep. puts 100%. their build of that deck into my hand, I'm gonna play it, and I'm gonna really enjoy it the whole time. Yeah, I'm I think I think the big thing about that card is, you know, there's gonna be like you know the Araxa uh, madness centric deck. There's gonna be the Araxa flashback centric deck. There's gonna be the Araxa. Well, you know, I don't think there's mechanics. enough of each of those individually to be their own deck. I think it has to be the Araxa cast spells from not your hand yeah possibly I mean, I, either I'm, way um mm-hmm. yeah I'm, i think there's enough uh play between like which one what you include what you don't include um that, that you'll, I, you'll see some differences but mechanically i think you're right it's going to be largely the same sorts of cards yeah i mean i uh, to me i think i think there's probably about you know 50-ish playables that are reliably castable from not your hand including <laughs> all the things madness flashback foretell suspend all of it um, right right I think that decks are going to have between of, of those 50-ish cards. I think decks are going to have 30 to 50 of them, and mm-hmm. then sure. you know 40 mana sources, and fair. the rest is just oh, this is excellent conversation. Yeah, I actually learned. Yeah, I don't probably. want to say I don't want to call it like I yeah. learned quite a bit, but it's very cool to see like you know behind the curtain, inside the music, if you will, about different deck building styles and techniques. Heck, we haven't had like a deck building theory episode in like. 75 or 65 episodes like it's been i think since we had abby on that we didn't talk about a specific archetype or a specific uh three by three or something like that where we just had like a true deck builder on the show to talk about their their um approaches and their methods and that sort of thing so it was excellent excellent conversation yep yeah Yeah. i I, I love talking shop i love talking yes i do i do so much yeah lens (laughs) that I can use to evaluate my own decision-making process that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this stuff really is not like revolutionary. It's a lot of things that people already, you know, do themselves. Like, yeah. Cause then it also has them. It'll help answer the questions really too. Like, why am I doing yeah, this? Focus. Why am I doing putting, this particular pillar or right. this step of the deck yeah. building process? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, it also gives me a, a, a new vocabulary for, like, you know, I, I mentioned in the pre-show a bit that I've been doing kind of thing where, like, for the last few months I've been I've been really, sure. like, 
disinterested <laughs> in like mm-hmm. doing Moxfield things, which is unusual for me. Like I'm usually, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I'm usually brewing constantly, but like for the last couple of months, I've just been like sort of taking a break and, you know, I would start a deck and then walk away from it. And like having, having this vocabulary to describe some of the reasons that I was just dissatisfied with the, the brews that I was coming up with and just, you know, leaving them half finished, walking away from them and not, not publishing anything like that's, it's good. It's good to, yeah, for uh, sure. You know, put words to to that yep. feeling of dissatisfaction because yeah, it just like, helps you really deepen how you move forward. You know, <laughs> with, without those words, you start to think like, oh, maybe there's something wrong with me. But like that feels way realizing better. no, yeah, way there's something wrong with awesome. Roxa. Like that, that feels. No, I will definitely better. appreciate it. Before we move into the outro yeah, yeah. here, Derek, is there any like yeah, one definitely. sentence, two sentence wrap up advice you want to give pers- prospective brewers out there, myself included? Yeah, just, you know, self-awareness is key. Um, Know what you're about, know what you're doing, and Mm -hmm. be very, very willing to just, like, cater to the group that you're playing with. Are miserable. Like, don't don't make them play against decks that are miserable for them, even if you don't think that it should be miserable for them. If it is, change it. Nothing's too precious. Yeah. Like, and it's to not sort of worth, jump on the coattails of that, I, I, one like, thing I've learned about myself, point, and it's taken know? a little while, uh, one thing I learned about brewing is that for the most part, like I understand how I like to play games now. It took a while, but I understand the type of decks I like to play, the type of decks that I find fun that aren't miserable for the table. And I have found yeah. that there is a large percentage of uncommon creatures that I can make work in that style. It just took me understanding that style to figure out that I didn't have to search up the number one mid-range commander or the number one combat-centric commander. Like most commanders now that I understand my own style will fit any deck that I build. And that was part of that, that introspection like you've talked about. Uh, what do you got, Dave? You got anything, yeah. uh, any final words for the brewers out there? Yeah, for sure. No, I just, <laughs> I've spent the last 20 minutes mm-hmm. just like picking commanders that I have built and just like They're running so through good, these right? pillars right? and just <laughs> asking, asking myself these questions about that commander. So no, I've, I've just been <laughs> like, no, anything I say now is just going to be me telling you about decks that I built years ago. And that is not, All right, that's excellent. not a good conclusion. Go. So I'm going to not do that. <laughs> All right, we just got a few more things before we wrap it up for the week. (laughs) Uh, If you need more Popper Commander talk, you can always email the show here at thepdhpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram or x slash Twitter. We're just the PDH pod there as well. Uh, Liam and I are on Twitter as well. He's Popper Command and I am Popper underscore B. And Derek, where can the listeners find you if they forgot since last time? Yeah, so I'm uh, in terms mm-hmm. of engaging with uh, the, the populace, <laughs> really just only on Twitter, um, Elon Musk's X. And that's all one word, right? At to Derek, to your reader. Uh, that's usually where I, I hang out in terms of my community engagement. That's all one word, as those tags tend to tend to require of you, yes. Um, I like they has been alluded to, I am on Discord, and I will respond if you ping me, but otherwise I'm just going to lurk and not do a whole lot. <laughs> I take much solace in that fact. I take solace in the fact that I'll be watching on uh, all right, awesome. I'll put all the links to everything down in the uh, in the show notes there. But it seems <laughs> yeah, like sounds like Liam as he isn't quite finished with this episode yet. So we got one extra thing from him. Take it away, Liam.
Yeah, Brad, we do have a couple last things. Uh, so for those that may not be aware, the Sanctuary Tournament Series is having its third Sanctuary Tournament this weekend, Saturday, November 4th. It is beginning at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. That's uh, U.S. Eastern, East Coast Time. Uh, it is proper EDH, preferably competitive, but if you want to go in with just your homebrew, more power to you. Uh, there are cash prizes, and for more information, you can go to at SanctuaryPDH, that is at S-A-N-C-T-U-A-R-Y-P-D-H on Twitter.com, or you can go to SanctuaryPDH.com. Also, not this weekend, but next weekend, Saturday, November 11th, there is another CPDH tournament. Uh, this one is happening at 11 a.m. EST. Uh, it is for charity support for veterans' mental health. Uh, they are doing the same thing that Sanctuary is doing, just on a different weekend. It is another tournament. Uh, I'm unsure if there are cash prizes or, or any other prizes involved in this one. I'm not entirely sure. You can go find one more game on Twitter, or you can go to omgmtg.com to enter in this tournament. Uh, yeah, just two very exciting CPDH tournaments coming up. Hopefully we get to see you at both of them. I know all the members of this pod will be either commentating or judging Sanctuary. I know some people are going to be at SCGCon Pittsburgh instead of Common Cause. All right, but awesome. Ideally, we'll uh, also as episode be 72 of the PDH pod so, comes to a close, to we want to give a big thanks to MTG Brad for letting us use their original music for the show. And from everyone in here to everyone out there, brew a deck, play the magic you want to play, and let others do the same. And we'll see you in about a week. Peace. Yeah. Peace. Cheers. <laughs> there it is. I was muted. Oh my god. Every episode. It's um, <laughs> amazing. I keep on I keep on doing every every no, single We'd have to start over. It, yeah. Is it right. Is it really an episode if I don't do that at least once? Um Yeah, we can't edit out we can't edit out the pause. Yeah. No. No. I mean that's against the rules. I brought pop the text at the party. Brought pop protects at the party.